Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They gotta be some tight asses, don't you think? Oh, they take it <laughs> very seriously. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. You Darvish to the Cubs means one thing right off the top. The Cubs are again solid favorites to win the National League Central. You always got to keep your eye on the quiet ones. The Brewers had a punch and counterpunch offseason. The Cardinals have had an active offseason. The Cubs were mostly quiet. Now, you Darvish at the front of a rotation with John Lester, Kyle Hendricks, that makes the Cubs favorites to win again. All right. Brian Murphy hanging out with us here from the Pioneer Press, TwinCities.com. And, uh, well, formerly until next football season, the Friday Football Fun Fest, but Correct. there's no football anymore. So. No, we may uh, we may have an appearance uh, during the draft. Per se. I've been told there might be some freelancing a little bit then, maybe OTAs, okay. mini camp, conditioning program. But we're on to hardball. We are. We're pivoting. We're pivoting, guys. You had so before we get into your Q and A, and it's it's if people haven't read it yet, TwinCities.com, Pioneer Press, Paul Mahler opens up about, and we'll we'll get into all this stuff, but. So two things over the weekend. Number one, the Cubs wind up with you, Darvish. They gave, let's see, six years, $126 million and some incentives. And there's an opt-out after a couple of years for the player there. So if he thinks he can get more money, he can go elsewhere. Would you have ponied that up if you were Derek Falvey, Thad Levine? Would you have gone? They went five years over 100, it sounds like. Would you have gone like an extra year pay you Darvish when he's maybe 37 years old. I, I would not have. And does that make me the devil in this town? I don't town? think so. No, uh, no. Because it makes you logical, I think. I, I think what we're finding, and this is there's a lot of theories out there why the market's, market stagnated, right? But it's because there are smart people in a lot of front offices using big data to come up with decisions that are proven. That it, yeah. you cannot lay out guaranteed money, especially for arms, beyond 35 or you're going to get bit. And then if you do get bit... Because of the way the economics work, there's about six or seven markets. If we assume that, because the, the counter argument is, well, they're all billionaires, can't they all? Well, they all want to make a profit on their team. And we, if, if you accept that, then the teams, the six or seven markets, Chicago, uh, Los Angeles, New York, those teams are much more able to absorb a bad contract, a swing and a miss on a 35 year old. Because they've got a huge TV deal. They've got, Correct. yes, they've got the, uh, whatever the Fox deal is in LA. It's like $400 million a year or something ridiculous. Yeah. They don't have that revenue stream here. They have a good revenue revenue stream. Target Field is obviously making them money, mm-hmm. um, but the poll ads, you know, they always people always want to say they're cheap. They're not cheap. Their payroll is going to be at least right now until they sign somebody is 104 million, I believe, isn't it? Where's people want to say payroll? People want to say they're cheap because they don't dip into their own checking account to take a loss. You know, the, the very one, few owners do that. Well, the one owner who did before he passed away was in Detroit. Well, Steinbrenner oh, Illich, but too. Yeah, Mike Illich basically said, "I'll take. Lo- I'm 83 years old. I'll take losses." financially because I want to build this team up. And so the Tigers were, 
I think a top five payroll for a couple of years with Prince Fielder and, and Miguel Cabrera, but that's the rare example of a billionaire owner dipping into his own finances to take a loss on the on the organization. Yeah. So well, I don't know. But I, I think it's but now we finally have the log jam broken. Do we have a market set for starting pitching? Is that, it trickle down? That's the big question now, and it's not a, a positive. People think the answer is yes, but they're not sure yet. This has been, I, I think what we've come to understand about this winter is it's been so odd, Brian, that, that assumptions are dangerous. And so the Darvish signing, I think I think the market, people believe it will trigger the movement on pitchers now like Cobb and Lynn, but they're not certain. And so I'm curious. The thing about the Twins to me is this as well. One of these days, I do expect them to make make an investment in a guy like Darvish. But the thing is, you can't keep doing that. So, like, if you go in six years on him and two years in, there's an opt out for the player, and he's not pitching well, and he's like, "Okay, boys, I'm I'm here for four more years." That's your investment, then. So the thing, Phil Hughes, yeah. So exactly. So the thing about these guys is is if and when they do make that investment. They've got to be pretty certain. You can't just say, well, he, we think he was tipping his pitches in Texas and with the Dodgers, and now he won't, and so he'll be fixed. If you're wrong on that, it's not like you can go in next next winter now, a year from now, and make a similar yeah, investment. And, and I'll add to that and say that my, my favorite type of local sports hypocrisy, the people who hate Joe Maurer's contract with a fiery passion and want everyone fired and Joe Maurer just release him and, and bite the bullet— and then those same people turn around and rip the Twins for drawing a line in the sand on a U Darvish contract. You can't hate Joe Maurer's contract can't have it both and ways. also hate the fact that they won't go six or seven years on a free agent pitcher in his 30s. Now, granted, Maurer is not g- giving you value on $23 million, but he did have a bounce-back season last year, and there's no reason to believe he still won't be a 300-hitting, 10-home run, very good defensive first baseman again this season. Is it worth $23 million? Of course not, but at least you're getting a little bit more value on the back end that you weren't getting for four or five years. Yes. So you all right, let's let's start with uh, Paul Molitor in your Q&A talking about his somewhat complicated relationship with Miguel Sano, and the team is still waiting for Major League Baseball's ruling on the assault allegation. So what did you find most interesting and tell our audience about Molitor's relationship with Sano both leading into this incident and then going forward. Well, I think it's evolving at best. I think he's uh, I, I'm, he's not reaching him. I don't think the team is necessarily reaching him either. When I say reaching him, we all know what his talent is. We all know what he can do. There's questions about there's questions about his weight. There's questions. I don't think necessarily about his work ethic. I don't think people are saying he doesn't work. I think there's questions about the people he surrounds himself with. He's got a very very thick inner circle of confidants. I don't want to say hangers-on. I'm not too familiar with it. But from the time he was picked as that prodigy down in the Dominican to the time he's 16 years old and the Twins give him $3 million to the time he finally gets to the big leagues, he is surrounded by a lot of yes-men and a lot of people that are in his ear about what he should be doing. A lot of people from New York. Rock uh, Nation, right? Rock Nation. Um the Twins just want him to concentrate on becoming a better ball player now. In defense of Miguel, they threw him out in right field a couple years ago, which turned yeah. out to be a disaster. Um, you know, talk about the you know the big elephant in the room, the big elephant in right field. But he, I, I'm not sure he's quite assimilating yet to what it is to be a professional ball player, to be concentrating on what you need to do to help the team be better. I mean, does that mean cutting down on strikeouts? Does that mean taking extra batting practice? Does that mean cutting, not allowing yourself to balloon to 275 pounds during the season? And even with that, he's still good enough 
just sort of, you know, he's good enough to hit 30 home runs in a full season and drive in a bunch of runs and be maybe a borderline all-star going forward. But I think everyone, including Paul Molitor and the, and the, we had, we had Thad Levine on last week, everyone sees the gap between where he's at and where he could be. And, and that's what we're curious about, right? Like what's, Okay, he is a good player, but what what else is there, and what else could he get to? Therein lies the problem. He's good enough to be successful as a fat DH. So the question becomes, do do you want to be that? Which you can be, and you can make lots, and you can stick around for a while, or do you or do you want to be a consistent all star who can play third base for five more years? He's not a bad third baseman, and, right? Right, but I mean, he can't. But but football or baseball is the one sport where where you get a lot of guys, Brian, who get out of shape in season. You know, football yes. football they they have problems keeping weight on. Basketball and and hockey, you play games that basically take weight off of you. So baseball is the one sport where it's the winter, and then you start to, and then you lose weight in the winter, and you come into the summer, and, then and you the, balloon. And there's every post game buffet, which Correct. is carved and up, that's and, a and you're eating on planes and hotels <laughs> and rooms. I'm serious. I mean, they play every day, but they're not conditioning every day, and then they're eating. And for a guy like him, that's easy to put on weight. You know, it's 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 become problematic. Now, did that directly relate to his? Stress reaction, we can speculate all we want. He fouled a ball off his leg. So that's what broke, fractured his leg. But, uh, you know, is it weakened? He's had a lot of leg injuries. He hasn't played more than 120 games yet. And this is a guy that's going to get paid at some point to be uh, a 150-game player. What's the Twins' uh, concern about baseball uh, coming down on him with a suspension, too? Because it read from piece like they're concerned about I think they're bracing for it. I had somebody in MLB tell me, because the team really wanted this resolved before spring training, even more so before the first squad first full squad workout on sure. February 19th. They wanted him to get this behind him. Well, that I had somebody tell me that's not e- that's not even close. That's that at the very earliest maybe the end of the month but probably more. And what you can read into that is probably they're they're doing they're conducting a lot of interviews, they're doing due diligence. Uh I don't want to say where there's smoke there's fire, but these are pretty serious allegations. Baseball has to take it seriously. I mean, we're in the middle of this cultural revolution, this Me Too movement, and there are also lessons learned from how the NFL badly mishandled the Ray Rice situation, and MLB does not want to get into that situation at all. Uh, this happened allegedly in a public place. Um, there wasn't any police report filed, but are we talking about a videotape? Are we talking about other witnesses? It sounds like people that she's talked to, Betsy, uh, Bisson, uh, Betsy Bisson. Beeson, Beeson or Bisson? Bisson, I believe. Bisson, the freelance photographer, has ta- told friends immediately after this about what happened. Um, so baseball is going to drill down deep on this, and I think the Twins are bracing for what could be a pretty pretty heavy punishment if, unless they can just – unless they determine it's just he said, she said. Yeah. Do you, do, you think, do you think Paul Molitor and any other decision makers, from what you can sort of sense – I know they're not going to lay all their cards out, but if given a choice right now to have to bet on Miguel Sano reaching some sort of higher bar or – Selling high. I mean, there's these Chris Archer rumors out there. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to trade Miguel Sano with all of the allegations. Like, do you think they would be more willing to just sort of say, you know what, this is probably who he's going to be, and before everyone else figures that out, let's sell high on him? Or do you think they're fully invested in whatever the next level is of his play? I think Paul Molitor wants to get something more out of him because obviously he's a results-based guy, and he sees something in Sano as a ball player and as a talented ball player that he can reach. And then, And it was interesting what he told me. You know, they've been trying to talk to him and about trying to get him to understand. Um, I want to get the exact quote up here, but he was he, he was so concerned about this that he would enlist other people in the clubhouse. 
Um, there's a language barrier. There's a culture barrier. There's an age barrier. I mean, Molitor's 61. Sano's, what, 24, four, five? five? Yeah. Um, it's a different world. Millennial, baby boomer. I mean, he's facing that with a lot of players in his clubhouse. But he said, I think the trend has been he's been figuring some things out. Some things have been a little harder to get through to him. At times, I've tried to involve people that might be able to provide a voice that will penetrate. We're just trying to get him to see the big picture. He loves to play. It's all in front of him. He, as much as anyone in that clubhouse, wants what's in front of him. But I'm not sure he understands what is required to reap those rewards of competing, winning, financial security, taking care of his family. We're trying. Yeah. We're still trying, though. Yeah. And then we're three years into this, and yeah. we're still trying. And then all of a sudden, these dark clouds are, are in over his head regarding this investigation, which I can't imagine is going to help his market value right now. Yeah, let's let's come back here. Brian Murphy's hanging out with us from uh, the Pioneer Press and TwinCities.com. He's also, you can hear him all over the airwaves here on 1500 ESPN. Let's talk more about what Paul Molitor said about his, the age gap and being a manager who's in his 60s and trying to relate language barrier, age barrier. And also, we want to drag you into our reckless speculation hornet's nest. All oh, right. great, can't the, wait. What would you give oh, up fun. for Chris Archer game? Uh, before we go anywhere, though, there's a great opportunity for you guys, the listeners, to sit in the most coveted premium seating section of Target Center on March 26th, Wolves and Grizzlies. It's a TCL theater box. Now, TCL, it's America's fastest growing TV brand. It's also uh, the most coveted offering in the world of premium seating inside arenas. TCL theater boxes offer dramatic views and a VIP experience unlike any other. Five-star cuisine, a lounge area, oversized chairs. All you have to do to enter is go to 1500ESPN.com, keyword TCL, and you will have a chance to uh, to sit. It's it's a renovated arena. It's one of the best teams in the NBA, and it's the best place to watch a game. If you haven't checked out an actual TCL TV, what separates TCL is the Roku and the 4K aspect. So four times the picture quality and the built-in Roku device, which gives you access to endless entertainment, the most streaming content of any TV on the market. You can bring entertainment to any room, in your house, no cords needed, thousands of streaming channels. Mackie and Judd with more Reckless Twin Speculation with Brian Murphy next. Mackie and Judd now continue. Here comes the life of the party. On 1500. Corrupting the minds and the hearts of our children. ESPN. And a cut and a miss comes back to get him. Freeze out on strikes. And that was just good old heat right there. And a cut and a miss. Archer strikes out the side. Reckless speculation. All right, we're going to make sure that, that Brian uh, Murphy here gives us his who would you trade for Chris Archer answer, but ponder that for a minute. Let's get back to the Q&A with Paul Molitor for a second. So you asked him a series of questions about his relationship with, well, it's kind of twofold. If you're a 61-year-old you know, white male manager, there's language barriers because a lot of your players are from different countries, and then... A lot of your players are 40 years younger than you are, too. So what did he say about his relationship with guys and trying to not be this antiquated dude in his 60s? You know, back in my day, this is how yeah. it was. He seems to he doesn't seem to be that guy. Well, if you look at Molitor, he doesn't strike you as a 61 year old guy, does he? I mean, I, really, I always no. think he, he carries himself uh, as, as with some youthful exuberance or maybe not exuberance, but he's got a coolness about him. Yes. And he's got those aviator shades <laughs> on in the dugout. Um, hell, you go into his office, he's got signed guitars from Bruce Springsteen and Eddie Vedder. I mean, I, I even joked to him, I said, Harvey Keene and George Bamberger, which were his first two managers in, in Milwaukee, must have seemed ancient to you. And they were probably his age when he was managing. But yeah. Molitor's kind of a, 
a hipper guy when it comes, at least in my eyes, I'm 46. Now, to a 22-year-old, he probably does look like an old fossil. I, well, I mean, I'm 32. I'm a little closer to that to that age, and he doesn't seem like... I mean, Gardenhire seemed older than Paul Molitor. And, and he's younger. about the same age. I think he's a couple years younger, right? Yeah, Gardy was very much... Molitor's always been more open-minded to analytics, and I think Gardy had his ways, and Molitor is, it just seems like... I'm, and Gardy's a little bit more open now, I think, than, you know, that's... He wouldn't he have Tiger's be. job. Right. So, yeah, I think I think Molitor seemed younger. He doesn't look younger necessarily in some ways, but, yeah, I think that's... But, and I think what he was saying was, too, look, I know it's a device world, and I'm never going to be able to understand that, and I'm never going to be able to limit that. It'd be almost like cutting off their arms or one of their limbs if you tried to manage their device intake. But, you know, you guys have walked into that clubhouse before a game. If anybody's out there... They are all, I mean, they're kind of like us in the press box. They're all buried in a device, right? <laughs> yeah. It's very unapproachable, and there's not a lot of yeah. banter going on. There's a handful of guys that like to play cards, you know, the Dozers and the Phil Hughes, and some of the older guys like to play, I don't know what they're playing, cribbage or bridge or whatever they're playing. Mm-hmm. But most of these guys are on their phones. They're on their iPads. They're not interacting. It's almost like a, it's almost a funeral type morgue aspect. And for a I, few years there, it was Murph. <laughs> well, yeah, because of the record, too. Very well played. Yeah. I just think Molitor said, look, I can't be a guy that's going to come in and say, look, this is the this this is the way it's going to be. You're going to have to follow my rules or it's going to be my way or the highway. That's not going to play anymore. I think he recognizes that. But he also doesn't he doesn't make any bone. I don't think he has any illusions that he's going to understand what's going on in the mind of a 24 year old. And he's not going to try to, you know, kneel down in front of them and sort of become their father figure. He needs them to perform on the field, and I think he's trying to give everybody some latitude in terms of how to figure that out uh, on their own. But at a certain point, he is their boss, and he keeps saying, he's like, you know, because of social media, these guys, these guys have a thousand voices in their head. And, you know, it's it's important for me to be the number one voice, at least on the ball field or when it comes to work time. I can't just be among the, the 1,000. I can't be in your horizontal world. When it comes to the job, it's a vertical world, and I'm your boss, and that has to resonate. And that's why in in year one, Tori was so important, because Tori sort of served as the go-between between the players and Paul. What's your sense about, in from talking to Paul, about how much he still enjoys this job? Because in, in reading your Q&A, it was really intriguing in the fact that I get the, I get that he enjoys baseball still a lot, but the people aspect seems to be a little bit torturous at times. I think he real. I mean, he's got a little more security now of three years. But hey, look, if they if they lose ninety games, I mean, he could easily be gone. I think they'd eat his contract very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I even asked him directly, uh, "Do you think the wild card berth earned you the ticket back?" And this was really. Interesting. And he said, "You know, I'm not sure because I was never really sure what the criteria was." <laughs> I get the impression he's resigned himself to the fact that he's obviously going to be the third voice among Derek Falvey and Thad Levine. He's going to defer to them on personnel issues. He's going to defer to them on what they're scouting. He's going to defer to them. uh, He's never said, I need this guy targeted, and here's why. I need this guy off the roster uh, because he's, he's terrible to deal with and I need to get rid of him. And he even said, not that I would even want that kind of authority, but I think he recognizes his place. I yeah. think he knows he has to stay in his lane. He had to play for manage for his job last year, which is very rare. And but for you know a, a wild card playoff berth, we probably wouldn't be talking about him right now. Yeah, and uh, you know it's. I understand if you're if you're stepping in and you're creating a new structure and a new front office and and, and you're replacing scouts. Why you would whether you like Molitor or not, maybe you're seventy percent sold. Why you just have a list of guys that you've been 
accumulating for five years, and it'd be tempting just to go to that list, right? So I don't have a problem with them riding out the whole season and then even negotiating for a couple weeks, whatever happened in that window. I think people got a little salty. Like, Suhan wrote a column after the season was over, and I think, you know what? This is a pretty standard process. These guys probably had a list. After this team had lost 90 games for about six straight seasons, they had a list. Molitor probably wasn't on it and had to prove himself over the course of six months. And, and he I, did. It very easily, they could have canned him as soon as they were hired in November of 16, right? The only reason they didn't was because Jim Polad made it clear the old, the owner that Paul Molitor was sticking around. So yeah, that was the that, only thing that created that lame duck situation that became a little bit kind of awkward. But as the as the club kind of coalesced around him and played well, it became politically impossible, I think, for them to then fire him. But if they if they go five hundred, miss the playoffs, or have a losing season, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they cut him loose with two years left. How did did he feel about his uh, pitching coach being blown out? I think he feels pretty isolated, uh, both losing Neil Allen, his wingman, and Joe Vavra, who was really his voice uh, in the dugout. Kind of, He said Vavra was the kind of guy that would allow him to see the big picture both off the field and during a game. He could kind of steer him uh, to where he needed to be and not just kind of get him out of his, his element of where he's thinking uh, at any given pitch. I mean, Vavra was a guy to bounce things off of. Uh, Allen was sort of you know, a guy he trusted, the only pitching coach he had. But Vavra was also the guy that ran spring training. He was the guy that sort of had the, the coordinated fields. He had the 63 names on a on a list and what everybody was going to be doing every hour of the day. And, and that's not saying Derek Shelton, the new bench coach, can't do that. But Molitor knew he could rely on that so he could get down to Fort Myers and get down to the business of managing and not have to administrate as so much. So I think he feels like, you know, he's adjusting to two new guys that are going to be his important um, confidence as far as strategy goes and organization goes, and I think he feels a little isolated right now, having not gotten to know him yeah. or Garvin uh, Alston that well yeah. yet. Alright, Murph. Reckless speculation! All right, so Lavelle... Bomb throwing, huh? This is it. This is as reckless as it gets. So Lavelle reported over the weekend that the Twins have made an offer sometime in the last two weeks to the Rays for Chris Archer and that the Rays want Max Kepler in any package that, that they wind up either pulling the trigger on or not. So here's the question, and I get why Twins fans hear these conversations about Darvish or Archer and think, well, it's not enough to just be in the mix on these guys. At some point, do something that Terry Ryan never did, right? Actually pull the yeah, trigger come on over the top deals. on a team. Right. So Chris Archer has one of the most valuable contracts in baseball. He's 29 years old. He's like a top 12 to 15 starter. The top starters are making 20 to 35 million dollars per year. He makes 35 million total over the next 4 years through his prime year. So he's he's valuable with his contract. Would you if if Kepler is one of the centerpieces, would you give up like Kepler, Nick Gordon and then take your pick minus Royce Lewis of a couple other like would you give up a huge package for a Chris Archer? Well, are you are you, are you saying it has to be Gordon or Royce Lewis cuz those are the I think prime. we're assuming both well, I, I think, Both could be on the table? Well, no, probably one. I think all of them the Rays are going to ask for. But okay. I, I would say, you know, Judd and I both kind of said Buxton and Barrios are off limits. Yeah. And then Royce Lewis, who was the number one overall pick, yeah, you is also off limits. Yeah, and he's a shortstop, too, so he could be an anchor forever. So if you want to pick three or four of anyone else, if Max Kepler's the guy you want in the major leagues and then pick like two or three others, Judd and I are both very quickly running to the window on that one. Uh, I, I love Max Kepler as a ball player. I think he's, you know, just... And he's a good dude, you know, to get to know. He's smart, cerebral, can't hit lefties, uh, but a heck of an outfielder. Uh, But I, and they got at least three or four more years of control on him, don't they? It winds up being five because he's only played, 
He's played just fewer than two full seasons, so you actually get... Well, if you're going to buy for club control on Archer, that's going to be probably be the cost is another... Uh, uh, if they need a corner outfielder with all that kind of upside exactly. and that kind of club control, then that maybe washes out. So it comes down to which prospect, right. Nick Gordon and Royce Lewis. I don't know a ton about Gordon. I know a little bit about Lewis because he was drafted first overall and he's a shortstop. Mm-hmm. So based on that, I'd want to hang on to Lewis. Um, but Nick Gordon's going to get a look at this camp, so Kep- they obviously think pretty highly of him. Kepler, Gonsalves, Gordon, and... Oh, we're talking a pitching prospect, and, too. And a bottom, and probably a lesser prospect than as a fourth, What's uh, What's Gonsalves' uh, repertoire or resume? So he is, I, I think he. it's either him or Fernando Romero are the Twins' yeah. two best pitching prospects. And Gonsalves, um, I've never, I've only seen him pitch a few times just on, like, you know, minor league television, because it's hard are to Are they watch. both righties? Um. Uh, yes. Right. I believe they're both right-handed yeah, pitchers. Says for sure. And and I would say if you want to pick, because forget about like, forget about how how hard they throw or what their repertoire is. If you just look historically, pitching prospects are a coin flip with injuries, and they're a coin flip with effectiveness. I mean, Kyle Gibson was a top fifteen pick and dominated the minor leagues even after surgery, and he could he couldn't get an out until August of last year. Yeah. So I would be, Judd and I were saying, I think you should be aggressive in cultivating a stable of 20 to 25 good young players between the ages of 18 and 22, but then be willing to part ways with three of them for a proven commodity in a Chris Archer with within reason. Like you're not going to give up Buxton at this point or the number one overall pick, but I would I would honestly open up the the storefront for any combination of three of these guys, not named Royce, Lewis, Barrios, or Buxton. Well, they also came into the offseason saying, what was the priority? Pitching. Pitching, right. pitching, pitching. Starting pitching. You know, you can always fill in the bullpen blanks. Well, they did that first. They still haven't gotten their top-line starter. And their ace just uh, went on the DL because uh, of a of finger surgery that kind of cropped up. Now, he should be back in May. But considering he got bounced around pretty hard in the wildcard game in New York, and he's coming off the surgery, and he's, what, 36? Mm-hmm. Uh, Santana might end up getting moved at the deadline anyway. You need somebody to kind of anchor that rotation. By the way, Gonzalez is a left-hander, if that matters. He's a left-hander. Oh, he is a left-hander. And okay. four years at $34 million, that is a what a bargain. And that, and you're gonna have the price you pay. Maybe is is Max Kepler and his five years of club control. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. but he's a corner outfielder. You can find guys. He can't right now. He's a platoon guy because he can't hit lefties. He made a buck yet. fifty off. But lefties. I mean, a lot of le- young left-handed hitters didn't hit left-handers early on in their careers and and found a way to do it later. Correct. Yeah, but you know, if it means on, letting let's the Rays develop that and Chris Archer I'd comes move, on board, I move Kepler. I yeah. would move Kepler as much as I like him. I would move him for Archer in a package. See, look at you diving in. <laughs> But I don't have to own any of this, just like you guys. Oh, no. I'll deny to the death. (laughs) Have we ever had this conversation? Keep Keenum or Kirk Cousins? How much are you paying him? (laughs) Oh, that that is the next thing, right? Well, Keenum's on his way out. We know that, right? I mean, Keenum, there was a rumor over the weekend that now Denver's in on Keenum. Speaking of juicy, reckless speculation, did you guys see what Teddy did to his Twitter account this weekend? Deleted it? Scrubbed the Vikings from the front. No mention of the Vikings on the front. What, he's just Teddy Bridgewater, just NFL Ted, quarterback? Teddy Bridgewater, and he has a description, but he has the, took all the Viking stuff off the front. Did and he, and we're supposed Vikings, to read into that, that he's done with them? Oh, it's all, I'm just telling you. Did they try to toll his contract more aggressively, and I'm, now he's That might be it. That could lead us down the path of reckless speculation that he said, I'm not having my contract told. I don't. Ha- I hate you guys. Now I'm taking all your stuff off the front of my Twitter. Did page. he have it in his description? Was it like Vikings quarterback number yeah, seven? It was, yeah, it, it had a Vikings picture, I think. I think the bigger picture was a Vikings picture at one time, and now that's gone. Now it's well, he just, is a free agent. I mean, I know. 
I'm just saying, I'm just telling you. Trying to play the leverage when game. When it comes to reckless speculation, that's a good bit I of mean, it. I mean, you are really, really drilling into the weeds now. Darn right. I'm embracing this job. Reckless speculation. <laughs> I'm embracing my role. Murph, good stuff, man. Go, Thanks. people, go read his Q&A with Paul Molitor, PioneerPressTwinCities.com, and we'll uh, we'll catch you soon, man. Sounds good. Great to be back. Dave, what kind of questions are you going to fire at us next? I've got at least one Twins question as well as a Vikings query to throw at you guys. Cool. Mackie and Judd in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. They have completely gone off the deep end. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Dave Harrigan's got some questions for us. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Twins report pitchers and catchers tomorrow to Fort Myers. Opening day for the Twins. March 29th against the Orioles in Baltimore. Boys, I'm going to ask you a tough question right here. We know you Darvish isn't in the mix now. We know Irv Santana is going to be gone at least a couple weeks, maybe that first month of the season now that he had the injury and the surgery. Give me what you project, and you can go outside the organization if you feel a trade or a free agent signing is going to happen. Give me your projected five-man starting rotation when the team goes north. And for each of the five, your confidence percentage will say <laughs> they will still be there June 1st. Holy cow. So you want five projected. I want five projected and how confident you are that they can <laughs> hold that spot for two months. Oh, man. Well, all right. So so no Irvin Santana. I got to find the fifth guy. I need to find a fourth and a fifth guy. <laughs> Give me time. I got to find a fifth guy. So, Who's your third? I didn't know this was coming. Okay, so Barrios for sure. And then they're they're going to get someone from outside the organization, but the range of that person could be Chris Archer, and the percent chance of that is five to ten percent. Jaime Garcia is a much more likely potential candidate that they just don't want to pay for. Right, that they just don't want to pay the freight for a you know for a Lance Lynn or somebody. So Lance Lynn and Alex Cobb are going to get four year deals for fifty or sixty million dollars. How much do you trust both guys one year after? Missing a lot of time with surgery. Kind of bounce back seasons, but you could poke holes in both. I think they're going to roll the dice with like Alex Cobb. So I'll say Barrios, Alex Cobb, Kyle Gibson, and they, they're going to arbitration with him over like a $300,000 gap, which yeah, is amazing. It's not going to be pretty either. They just, they, I think they're I'd so annoyed by Kyle Gibson that they're going to actually go to uh, an arbiter to, to have him. Trash Kyle Gibson. So those three guys, for sure. Trevor May, I think, is a bullpen guy, and not even until May. So Adalberto Mejia, he'll be in. Yep. And then Aaron Sleggers? I, Phil Hughes? I think it's Phil Hughes to start the season. Phil Hughes? I think he's the five to start the season, yes. Okay, so Phil Hughes and then like Aaron Sleggers in that mix. And none of those three guys I just mentioned will still be in the rotation on June 1st. So Hughes, Mejia, Slagers, none of them are going to be in the rotation after June 1st. Uh, all Boy, right. that's a list and a half right there, isn't it? Okay, so let's just say for the sake of this that they sign Cobb. And Cobb, uh, come. did you say May 1st or June 1st? I said June 1st. Okay, uh, 90% chance that he stays or, or more in the rotation past June 1st. He's fine. Barrio, same thing. 95% chance. I mean, unless he, he gets hurt, he's in the rotation. 
Kyle Gibson's your three starter to start the season. I say it's a 60% chance. Here's my question. This is an honest question. Do players attend their arbitration hearings and get to say what get to hear what's said about them these days? I don't know. Does it still work that I think it used to work that way for sure. If Kyle, I think if they want to, they can. If Kyle Gibson attends his hearing and hears what's said, the chances of him being in the rotation on June 1st are 5% because he's going to fall apart. But he's his gonna... agent will be there, and his agent will tell him what they said. Okay. Especially if they lose the hearing. But at least if you don't hear it firsthand. My point being, I give him, I give Gibson a 40% chance of being in the rotation by June 1st. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mejia will start the season as the fourth starter. I am. This is, for my own sake, I hope it's 10%. Watching him try and pitch a game is just awful. He takes way too long between every pitch. He looks, he's got better stuff stuff than I do, but he looks like me if I was to try to pitch. He's just a sweaty mess. He's just boring to watch. He labors (laughs) out there. Go drink a beer, just like I would. Just forget about it. 10% chance. And then Phil Hughes, 10% chance, because I think he'll start the season as the five-starter and something something will go wrong there. The arm will get, you know, he'll have the thoracic outlet syndrome again or something. Yeah, so. Remember when Phil Hughes had one good season on a three-year deal Game. worth $21 million and the Twins, they, they, for nope. absolutely no reason, decided to extend that contract to five years well, and like $30 million a year? And we all thought, God. and if you recall, they went to him right before that last start, I think, in Detroit, the last game in Detroit, and said, if you want to reach your incentives, we'll allow you to. And he's like, no, no, no. And, and we're all like, selfless, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And then we find out two weeks after, oh, we're giving him a long-term extension. Yeah. Uh, real quick aside on the concept of arbitration, is that the most uncomfortable yes. concept in sports or it, just in life? It's one of them. Could you imagine if that happened in marriages or something where, you know. Yeah, it's, like, called, <laughs> it's called divorce when there's well, settling matters. Well, yes. no, it's, but this isn't divorce. This is, we both want to extend the marriage it to some extent. It would be the extent. same thing if they called us in and here to do our new contracts. And they kind of do it. And, and they're like, like, you know, they're. Well, Management goal good. is to prevent you from making a million dollars. But they're just like, your your last year was awful. And here's a half hour of reasons yeah. why you're not that good. No, you pretty much suck. <laughs> I mean, we still want you here, but you pretty much are awful at what you do. Yeah. On the Alex Cobb, Lance Lynn thing here, just a second. Uh, Lance, so Lance Lynn is 30. Alex Cobb is going to be 30. So it's like one's going to turn 31, one's going to turn 30. So let's call it, they're both the same age. They both missed the entire... Almost the entire or the entire 2016 season with elbow surgery. Mm-hmm. Cobb actually missed the entire 2015 season, and both had pretty similar numbers. They both pitched a full season this year. Both had like three and a half ERAs, although one was in the American League. Oh, in 17, okay. Um, Alex Cobb, more of a pitch to contact ground ball guy who can get some strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Lance Lynn will get you. He'll get you another strikeout or two per nine innings. Lance Lynn, I think, and and Lance Lynn's had the better track record. If they're both going to cost the same amount of money, I would trust Lance Lynn a little bit more. But you're going to wind up having to pay like $15 million a year even for for those guys. I I would still do it to upgrade the rotation if the Chris Archer option was completely exhausted. Anyways, Dave. The Indianapolis Colts got their guy, Frank Reich, their new head coach. He becomes the fourth former NFL quarterback now active as a head coach in the NFL. Joining guys like Doug Peterson. He had a rather successful run this past year, a former backup just like Frank. So that got me to thinking the Vikings have had plenty of backup quarterbacks in the last 10, 20 years, however far you want to go back. Pick one of those guys that was primarily a backup that you would trust 
as the next head coach of your National Football League franchise. And Teddy, uh, oh, not Teddy. Uh, this is uh, simple. T Jack wants it. This T-Jack is simple for me. Uh, back up to start the uh, 2005 season. Brad Johnson. He was a starter. That doesn't count. Yeah, it does. Judd. He signed back here as a backup. Dave. I mean, he was a backup. He was a backup here. But he for was also a, long a primary time. starter for a long time. I'm not going to give you that. You have to do better than that. Well, then now you can't you're look going for loopholes in this now question. You're, now you're going way down because, okay, so Gus Farad. Brad can't Johnson be was a starting. Started. He was deemed the starting quarterback going into like four different Viking seasons. Into the 2006, including but he, was, uh, but he was signed as the backup to Culpepper in, in 2005. Fine, fine. I won't choose Brad Johnson. I won't choose Brad Johnson. He Brad started Johnson was a good 46 pick, games for I, the Vikings. I was trying to pick a viable <laughs> option to be the coach of this team if I had to pick one because you're certainly not going to Okay, go then down I choose the Brett Favre. He then, started fewer games for the Vikings. That's the stupidest thing I've heard. He was signed. He started, as a backup. he started fewer games. He was a games. 12th round draft pick. It's fine. He started 46 games. That's the stupidest thing you've ever said. Or one of them. Pick a backup. Mm, well, I believe that, and I don't know a ton about this one, but I believe if I have to pick a backup that's not Brad Johnson, who, by the way, is my choice, uh, Kelly Holcomb. Kelly Holcomb, veteran guy, bounced around very much the same life as Doug had. Um, a guy that observed a lot can probably tell you for, that, that he learned quite a bit from good, decent starting quarterbacks. I'll go with Kelly Holcomb, although Brad Johnson was the better choice. All right, now go now go ahead and throw out your lame choice, and I'll so mock because that. because because you're falling into the trap of oh like. White quarterback who scrapped his way to get starts in the NFL Tavares must Jackson? be great. Do you want Tavares Jackson as no, your head coach? Because he was a starter for two years, so he doesn't count he in the also conversation. Became a backup. So you know what? I'm going to go with Spurgeon win because why not be equal opportunity? If you're just going to randomly pick Kelly Holcomb because, well, I don't know. Dave asked me. Kelly I, that's Holcomb, why I I'm going to Spurgeon win. That's why I picked Brad Johnson. Brad Johnson would be a good choice, actually. Are you picking him only because you're saying the Rooney rule applies to questions of significant importance? It does in this case. I'm going to be equal opportunity and pick Spurgeon win uh, so to pe- be a so head petty, coach. So petty of you to pick on the Brad. The Brad Johnson one was a really good choice, by the way. How many quarterbacks in Vikings history have made more starts in a Vikings uniform than Brad Johnson? Fran Tarkenton, Tommy Kramer. Wade, I bet he's top Wade, five. Wade Wilson. Let's look that up. This is such a pointless debate. This was the second. This, this was. <laughs> let, let me be very clear about this. This was the second time around for Brad, and he was signed here to be a backup in 2005. So first round of Brad, you wouldn't have trusted him? No, too young. <laughs> too young at that time. I can't have him be a head coach material. No, no, no. I'm saying he had learned a lot by the time he got back uh, here. Sure. I would annoy him with a job. Oh, okay. Is that how that works? Spurge, Spurgeon win. All right. Well, it's, uh, as we know, Winter Olympics time. Finally, we've got Judd excited and involved in the Olympics. Everybody likes to do the, hey, which Olympic sport do you think you'd be the best at? And everybody says curling, even though they'd probably suck at it. But let's go from the other uh, other aspect or other way to looking at it. Now, humans compete. We like rankings. Phil and Judd rank them on 1500 ESPN. Top three winter Olympic sports that if you had to try to attempt them today, you would most likely die performing. Uh, well, anything. Oh, yeah. And that can involve an accident or a heart attack. Anything with cross-country skiing and or a gun would be just in its own category. So if it's a rank them. Number one. Anything involving that much cardio and firearms, I'm very, very much likely to die. <laughs> Which part would kill you? Do you think? I think the I well I, I think the heart attack could easily come in the uh, cross country portion. Number two. Uh, number two would be anything involving 
things on my feet that make me go fast down a hill, so a snowboard or skis, and then going up in the air 50 feet and having to turn around and land without breaking limbs, that would be very high on the list as well. Number three. And then again, like I probably shouldn't participate in any Olympic sports because I haven't skated in about 20 years. So either hockey or figure skating or Lord knows this is probably number one figure skating with a partner of some kind so that like I'm at the mercy if I do something wrong with their blade slicing my aorta. And you're the dude. So you got to do all the lifts and all that stuff. Right. Like someone's going to there's going to be a big gal. <laughs> you got a big gal. Oh my back! The new pair out of America, Phil eaten, and Bertha. You shouldn't have eaten that bag of Doritos, Bertha. <laughs> One, two, number three. Uh, I would say the the head first thing going downhill. What, what's that? Skeleton. skeleton. Yeah, the skeleton. Luge on your stomach. Yeah, because I think I'd fly off the thing, and I'm sort of fat right now, so I'd probably get too much momentum, and I'd go up that thing, and then I would just keep going. That's a good way to die. Or break your neck, which is probably just as bad or worse. So I would say the skeleton one. Number two. Uh, the ski jumping thing. Where the actual ski jump, the ski not jumping, the, the flip deal? Well, those two. All, all of them would kill me. I'm quite certain that I would go up the thing and immediately just fall forward. And I'd probably hit like the, the jump itself, which would kill you. So I'd be dead then from that. Number one. Uh, cross-country skiing. Heart, heart attack for sure. I think I would, my guess is I could do it for the first, I don't know, 10 minutes or so. And after that, I'd drop dead. See, I don't think either I think of I you drop dead. would because I don't think you'd stay on your feet long enough. You'd have so much time laying in the snow that you wouldn't really build up your heart rate. <laughs> really? You think so? Yeah. Oh, God. You, oh, and then oh, you know what, what would happen? Avalanche. And I'd smother. <laughs> I'd get killed. <laughs> oh, somehow I would die, and it'd be ugly. Just be careful of those big gals, big Bertha. You got her. You're throwing her up in the th oh Bertha. Big so Bertha. She comes down, lands right on your noggin. That's it for you. You're never the same after that. <laughs> Thank you, John. Got to be careful. Brad Johnson was a good choice, by the way. I'm sure was. You know, Chris Lindahl's a good choice too. Not to like throw up in the air or you know <laughs> ice dance with. Although I'm sure Chris Lindahl. Would be a good ice dancer as well. Um, if nothing else, he'd be able to perhaps market your ice dancing career the way that he markets homes and helps people make 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe even $50,000 more on the sale of your home. Uh, in fact, right now, the Chris Lindahl team, which is the number one Remax results team in the country, is saying a huge thank you to you guys at 1500 ESPN and your response. Uh, he's giving away a free listing side commission. Between now and March 16th, that's a that's pretty amazing value. A free listing side commission between now and March 16th. All you have to do is go to either chrislindall.com, that's Chris with a K, or call 763-401-SOLD to enter. Again, the deadline is March 16th, 763-401-SOLD, or chrislindall.com, that's Chris with a K. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Now's the time to whip it out. On 1500 ESPN. Hey, back to Dave's uh, earlier question, where Judd picked Brad Johnson as the backup quarterback that he would want most to coach the Vikings. Yes. Uh, this is my argument for Brad Johnson not being a backup quarterback. 
Only four Viking quarterbacks in the near six-decade history of the franchise mm-hmm. have made more starts. Fran Tarkenton, Tommy Kramer, Dante Culpepper, Wade Wilson by two starts, mm-hmm. and Brad Johnson, who made more starts than Warren Moon, Joe Cap, who I think is regarded as more of a Viking starting quarterback than Brad Johnson, uh, Rich Gannon, Christian Ponder, Brad Favre, Teddy Bridgewater, Randall Cunningham was only a starter for like a season and a half. And uh, T-Jack was as, only 20 games. As I explained to you, he was brought back here in 2005 to be a backup. That right. was his job. I'm just saying. He was going to be a he, backup. He's one of the foremost starters in Vikings franchise well, yeah, history. And, and in his first time around, he, he was a starter quite a bit. But the only reason why he started his second time back was uh, Culpepper got hurt. And then he started the first part of the 2006 season. Let me give you, i got a full list here of guys who started at least two games. I don't know why I didn't just do one, but I, I put in two games as starter at quarterback. Let's go to the bottom of the list here. Mm-hmm. Spurgeon win. Who's my pick for uh, for head? I don't even know what he's doing these days, but you know what? Be a heck I'm of a sure, head coach. I'm sure he'd be great as a head coach. Uh, how about well, Todd Bauman is a head coach at Buffalo High School. Yep. I don't know. I don't think their records have been very good lately, but so he has some coaching experience. That's your old school. Yep. What about uh, Donovan McNabb? He was more he's a backup for, than a starter with looking, the Vikings. He's looking for work now. Sean he's, Salisbury. Did McNabb start four or five games? That season, he was he started three games. Oh no, I'm sorry. Um, that it was six games. Yeah, and six then he games. was lifted at halftime of the game against. It was a night game in Chicago for uh, Ponder, and I think that was it for him. Mm-hmm. What about um, Steve Dills? Oh, Steve, I watched Steve Dills start some games. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. He'd be a great fit, I think. For that him. would be uh, no. We we missed the oh no, Joe uh, Webb. We're missing Joe Webb here too. We missed the best choice, Sage Rosenfels. It's true. Got like three tweets about it. Our buddy Sage. Should have picked him. Cerebral. Um, yeah. I think I think that would be the the consensus. A, the right guy there. who learned quite a bit, I think. Actually, an amazing factoid. I don't think he ever he didn't start a game. Did he even appear in a game? For the Vikings? Yeah. Hold on, I can find that. Yes. Because he was brought on two different years to maybe be their starting quarterback and they paid him a few million dollars. Well, he was he was acquired, I want to say, from the Houston Texans to be their mm-hmm. starter. And that was he when he never stepped foot on a field for the Vikings in the regular season. Yeah, I didn't think he did. He never got in a game. Oh, I thought no. for sure he would have gotten in a game. No, he has no. There's no record of him. Now he did get into a game. Well, for the Giants at one point. If you remember, the whole situation was that he was. I think he was acquired from the Texans by the Vikings because Rick really liked him, and so Rick wanted him to be the starter. And that's where the that's where the initial conflict with uh, Chili and Sage began. Yeah. Because Chili was always desperate to, to go outside. And and that was the 2009 training camp. The battle was Rick's guy, Sage, against Chili's guy, Tavares, right? Yeah. And so that's where things went uh, sideways between Sage and Brad. Yeah, I think even Sage would admit, like, if you go in hoping to win the Super Bowl and, like, that's your quarterback battle, then... That's why you bring in Brett Favre. Traded by the Texans to the Vikings for a 2009 fourth-round draft pick that turned out to be a guy named Anthony Hill. And then the Vikings turned around in in the trade that Sage told us where where he said, I'm happy here, don't trade me. And in September 2010, they traded him with Darius Renaud, the kickoff return guy to the Giants, for a seventh-round pick. There it is. I didn't realize he didn't get on the field, though. I thought, sure, he had a kneel down or something. That's what I thought. I mean, apparently he didn't. Apparently he did not. Uh, I don't even know how often he was active in some of those games. If if Tavares was the backup, but Sage was probably deactivated as the, unless the rules were different and you had a third quarterback on your roster. Yeah, I think it was the emergency uh, QB days when when you had the forty was it forty five man game day roster. Yeah. and I think Sage was the backup and Tavares might have been the third. Yeah. Uh, so we have done a lot of reckless speculation on the show. Let's go back. We're we're guest free in the noon hour. So if you guys have thoughts on either should the Twins have 
ponied up another year or more money for you, Darvish, 651-646-8255, or what would you give up for Chris Archer? 